Amen. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you would, and look at uh, Psalm 125, the 125th Psalm. We're talking about these psalms, songs of degrees uh, that uh, were compiled or or maybe even some composed by King Hezekiah, King of Judah, and uh, trying to understand how it is that in the midst of trouble, uh, if we will trust God, uh, we can triumph over it. Uh, and this is the, the third part of, of the triad that we're currently in. We, we've talked about the idea that these are broken down into triads. Uh, one psalm will talk about the trouble, uh, and then one talk about trust, and then the third will be talking about triumph. And that's certainly what we find today in the 125th, the 125th I'll get it out, the 125th psalm. There's an age-old question, dilemma, debate uh, that's, that's gone on since... The beginning of time, uh, the question comes, why, why do bad things happen to good people? We probably all at some point struggled with that, right? Uh, why is it that bad things happen to good people? And it's especially difficult when we, we recognize that at times bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. We look on and we judge and we say, I don't understand, I, I don't get it, how is it? Uh, that this person can, can live righteously and, and live right, but yet it seems that bad things come to them. And this person lives wickedly, uh, and, and it seems that good things come to them. And certainly our sensibilities tell us that, that it ought to be. We teach our kids uh, that if you'll do right, then, then right will come to you. It's going to be to your benefit to do what's right. And, and certainly there's, there's truth to that, but we would all have to admit that we have all observed at times in our life where it, it sure seems that there are times when bad things happen to good people. Amen? And it sure seems that there are times that good things happen to bad people. Uh, David, in the Psalms, actually said that, that he was, he was, his feet were nigh well slipped. He, he, he just about lost his footing for that very reason. How is it that, that the righteous struggle and, and, and go through difficulty and trial and trauma when, when the wicked prosper? It, it didn't make any sense to him, and, and certainly we struggle with it as well. Hezekiah was a man who, who understood that. We, in 2 Kings 18, the Bible tells us that he's that king that trusted in the Lord, God of Israel, it says there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that went before him, none after him. He claved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. Yet, this righteous man, I mean, this man who, who, who the Bible has a lot to say about, and, and this is God speaking of him, not his mother, so this testimony of him is, is incredible that he he claved to the Lord. He followed His commandments. He was obedient to God. There was none other like Him. He, he kept the commandments of God. Yet, he's being oppressed by this wicked king of Assyria. It doesn't seem to be right. It's in the midst of that that we have the 121st, 125th. I don't know why I want to keep calling it the 121st. If I say 121st, just know what I mean. 125th, right? That's the one we're in today. Let's read it together. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, and abideth, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth his hands into iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, O Lord, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. In the third of the triads, we're, we're talking about triumph, and last time we saw a testimony of Israel, and, and they, they spoke of the trust in the Lord, and, and this week we learn what is the outcome of that trust. And the first thing he says is those that trust in the Lord will, will be protected because they have a sure foundation. 
their, their foundation is short. It's, it's as Mount Zion. Uh, Mount Zion, the place that the city of Jerusalem, the, the thing that made it such a fortress was the mountain that it sat upon, the, the, the solid foundation uh, that, that Jerusalem sets upon. I, I've had the privilege to be there a couple of times, and uh, again, you go up into those mountains, and, and that city sits there on the top of those mountains, and it is a very fortified place. It's a solid foundation for you and I, the foundation that our lives are placed upon is a foundation of Jesus Christ. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus, and He is the foundation of our lives. The Apostle Paul said, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the solid rock upon which we, found our, we found our lives. That's the foundation upon which we're built. It's important that we remember when we talk about trusting in the Lord and, and having that solid foundation it's more than just lip service. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, as he's concluding that sermon, he tells the story of two men, two men who, who heard the Word of God, two men who had storms come in their lives, the rains descended, the floods rose, the, the winds blew. One of them's house stood, and one of them's house fell. And Jesus says the reason is one was founded upon sand, and one was founded upon a rock. The other difference is, one did the Word of God, and one only heard it. It's important that we realize, when we talk about trusting in the Lord, we're talking about what governs our actions. Faith is, is not just some belief that I hold within my heart that doesn't impact how I live my life. Faith is what I live Trust is what I live out. If I, if I trust His Word to be true, then I, I live according to His Word even when I can't see the outcome. Even when I, in my perspective, I, I, I think that there's something going wrong here because I see the righteous suffering and the, the wicked prospering, I, I still trust Him. I still believe. I, I've not only heard His Word, but I, I do His Word. That's what trust is, and that's what leads to a solid foundation. Living in obedience. Isaiah 28 says, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. He says, I, I lay in Zion, in Zion, he's speaking of Christ, I lay in Zion a, a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And he says, if that's my foundation, then I, I don't make haste. I, I don't have to hastily make decisions. I don't hastily run to desperate measures. I, I'm not trying to work things out on my own. I'm not turning to human means and, and looking for what I can do to resolve my situation. I have a solid foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. When Paul quoted Isaiah in Romans chapter 9, he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, who has liberty to quote himself however he might like, changes shall not make haste to shall not be ashamed. There's no need when, when I'm founded on Christ and my trust is firmly placed in him when I'm living according to his word and obedience to his word, there's no need to be ashamed for how I'm living, for the hasty decisions I might have made if I weren't trusting in Christ. The psalmist says, was I, as I am founded on that rock, as I'm founded, as Jerusalem is founded on Mount Zion, as I'm founded in Christ, there's, there's two things that come out of that. The first is that I cannot be moved. If I'm built upon a rock, then I cannot be moved. When David said, my, my feet nigh well slipped, they almost slipped, but they didn't because I couldn't be moved because I was founded on a rock. My foundation is sure. I don't need to be ashamed. I don't need to make haste. The psalmist said in another place, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. When I'm founded upon the rock, 
when I'm trusting in Him, when I'm trusting in the Lord for every aspect of my life, when, I'm, when I've entrusted it to Him and I'm following His principles and I'm obeying His Word, then I know that I will not be moved. When I trust Him for my health and my finances and my, my marriage and my ministry, when I'm attacked, when it seems like things aren't going like I thought they would go, when it seems as if this isn't working out like it should, when it seems as if though I've lived righteously and I've lived in obedience, I I still seem to be getting attacked and it looks like the wicked are prospering. If I'm trusting in the Lord, I will not be removed. That will not move me away from following Him and living in obedience to Him. The apostles in Acts, Paul says, and now behold, I, I go bound in the spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He's going up to Jerusalem. He's, he's not knowing what's going to happen, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saving the bonds and the afflictions abide me. He says, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I suspect the same thing's going to happen there that's happened everywhere else. I'm going to face persecution. I'm going to face afflictions. Verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me. I'm not moved away from what I've been called to do. I'm not moved away from my mission. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. When my foundation is sure, nothing moves me away. I I will not be removed. When When I trust in the Lord, when I'm living in obedience to Him, when I trust Him so much, that I'm going to obey Him even when I don't understand. Nothing will remove me. Nothing's going to take me away. He says, it cannot be removed and we will abide forever. The foundation of Jesus not only protects us, but it promises us an eternal life, an eternal existence with God in His presence. It's not going to remove me and I'm going to abide forever. Those who trust in the Lord have a sure foundation. They're protected by a sure foundation. Those who trust in the Lord are protected by His surrounding presence. He says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, uh, again, it's a very mountainous area where the city of Jerusalem sets. It is certainly the high ground, a position of advantage, but it's also surrounded by other mountains. If you go to the south, there's the the Valley of Hinnon. You go to the north, there's the the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and it's these dry moats around the city of Jerusalem that protect it. It's a, it's a physical fortress. The mountains surround the city of Jerusalem. And what the psalmist says is that's the same thing with God in our lives. He, he gives me a, a solid foundation and he surrounds me and he protects me. He's all around me. He's on every side. I'm surrounded. Even when I don't recognize it, he's there for me. He surrounds me on every side. There's nothing that comes to me that he hasn't allowed to come into my life. And he allowed it to come into my life out of a a motivation of his perfect love for me. He allowed it because he loves me. He allowed it for, for my good and for his glory. That's easy to say when things are going great, right? It's a little tougher when things aren't going so well. It's a little tougher when I look around and my sensibilities tell me that this isn't right, that, that somehow I'm, I'm suffering for righteousness' sake. It, it makes it more difficult, but nonetheless true. Many of you will remember the story of Elisha. And the armies have gathered around him, and the, the Syrians have come against him in the city of Dothan, and and, and his master says, alas, my master, what shall we do? They get up and they go out and they look in the morning and they're, they're surrounded by the enemy. And, and Elisha says in 2 Kings chapter 6, and he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And I'm sure his servant thought, man, this guy's lost his mind. This guy has lost his mind. Can he not see Does he not recognize that the armies of the Syrians have surrounded us? And the Lord, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. 
And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. God had him surrounded. He was all around him. He had him protected. He watched over him. And the same is true for you and I. He watches over us. He cares for us. He says those who trust in the Lord are surrounded by him. His protection is all around us. The Lord is round about his people. He's there to protect us. The Lord himself, he's he's above us and beneath us and beside us and all around us. What a wonderful truth that is. Again, nothing penetrates that. David said, the poor man crieth and the Lord heareth him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Those who trust in the Lord, God encamps about them. He he provides a, a hedge of protection around us. Do you believe that today? It's true. For those who trust in him, he's protecting us. That hedge is around us. And we can count on him. We can believe in him to provide that hedge for us. It's very important that we remain within that hedge. And the way that we remain within that hedge is to continue to trust him. To continue to trust him from the perspective that we believe him so much that we choose to obey him. And don't go without that hedge. We live in obedience to God regardless of our situations and our circumstances. Because he says when we, when we fail to obey, when we fail to listen, he removes the hedge. Not to destroy us, but to bring us back. Isaiah says, and now go to, I will, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard, to my people. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof. And it shall be trodden down. We don't practice much of this in the 21st century church. But the Bible teaches that there's this process of biblical restitution. That God desires for his body to be pure. And he desires for his body to be holy. And he desires for his body to be functional. And the thing that inhibits that is sin. So what the Bible teaches is that when there's sin in the body, we deal with it. That we love each other enough to confront each other and to restore one another. And the only way to be restored is to deal with sin. It can't be, it can't be restored if it's not been dealt with. That's, that's the whole teaching of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where there's a man in sin within the Corinthian church and the apostle Paul writes to them and he says, you need to, you need to come together and as the, as the body, you need to put him out of the body, being put out of that body is being put outside of that hedge of protection. What the Bible teaches is that you and I, as as believers in Christ and followers of Christ, those who trust in Christ, as we are part of his church, there's a hedge of protection around us. And Paul says, for this man, you need to put him outside of that body for the destruction of the flesh. Not that he would die, not that he would be destroyed, but that the flesh would be destroyed so that he could live in the power of the Spirit. There's a hedge of protection for the believer in Jesus Christ. And that hedge, what the psalmist is telling us today, that hedge is God. He is the hedge of protection. He is there watching over us and protecting us. Those who who trust in the Lord, they're protected by a a sure foundation that will never be removed and, and that abides forever, that those that trust in the Lord are, are surrounded by the presence of God. Those who trust in the Lord are, are protected by God's system of justice. There is a system of justice with God. The, the psalmist contrasts the difference between the righteous and the wicked. He shows God's response and how God deals with, with each of them. He says, God will punish the wicked. Again, oftentimes we we wonder, how is it that the wicked prosper? Maybe it's because 
We don't see the end of things. It feels like that the wicked often make it to the top and, and, and stay on top and that there's no justice in this world. But, but the Bible promises us that God will deal with the wicked. He will judge the wicked. Proverbs says, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth much more than the wicked and much more the wicked and the sinner. Chapter 11, verse 21, Through hand joined to hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. God's going to deal with the righteous. He says, The rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. The, the rod, the rod is, is this thing that's, that's used to bring about pain. It's, it's used for, for either correction or destruction. And God promises that the, the rod of the wicked won't rest upon the lot of the righteous. God says there's this it's rod, it's, it, it may come against the righteous, but it's not going to rest against the righteous. We're going to face difficulty, we're going to face persecution, we're going to face conflict. History tells us that. We see it being true in the present day. We, we've seen it to be true in the past. The apostles of Jesus Christ faced persecution. All of them, with the exception of John, were martyred. They died horrific deaths. The Lord Jesus Christ, the man who was without sin, the man who, who did nothing wrong, was mercilessly beaten and crucified. We see today people who face unjust treatment at the hand of the wicked. It happens all over the world. There are many people who who we partner with and that we do ministry with around the world who, who face persecution every day. There, there are those who are part of the mightily alliance that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. For the first time, they've heard the gospel, they've heard the word of God, and they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and because they've trusted in Christ, they've lost their family, they've lost their employment, they've lost their homes, they've lost their community and their their friends, they, they've lost a place to live. There's those that have lost their lives. They've been killed for their faith. It happens all over the world. Uh, again, the voice of martyrs would say that there have been more martyrs in the last hundred years than there were in the first hundred years of Christianity. People all over the world who die for their faith. Paul, again, was mercilessly persecuted and beaten and, and imprisoned in and Second Thessalonians and the, the church at Thessalonica that, that dealt with so much persecution and went through so many difficult things. Paul's prayer is that they would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Hezekiah's testimony would be the same when the, the king of Assyria attacked Isaiah, he records this rod of the wicked. For through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrians be beaten down, which smote with the rod. That this rod comes against them, and, and it's not that the rod wouldn't touch them, it's that it wouldn't rest upon them. That's the promise of the Lord. We're going to face some difficulty. We're going to face some persecution. The rod may come against us. It may touch us, but it won't remain on us. And listen, I think for the 21st century Christian, living in the United States of America, we should probably recognize that truth. We've lived lives that have been very easy, very comfortable. I don't know that it will always be that way as we approach the end. There may come a time when the rod of the wicked touches us. And I would suggest that today is the day to figure out how we will respond. Will we trust in the Lord? Will we trust in the Lord? Even when I look at the situation and, and, and I don't like the situation that I'm in, even when I don't understand, even when I can't comprehend, even when I know that I've, I've lived to the best of my ability to honor and to glorify the Lord, to live according to righteousness, and, and, and yet the wicked seem to be winning over, will I still trust in the Lord? 
Will I still believe that, that, that the foundation on which he has put me is solid? Will I, will I still believe that he will preserve me, that he encompasses me and surrounds me, that he protects me? Will I still believe that he will ultimately judge the wicked? Righteous people will be afflicted by wicked men, but God's not going to allow that to remain. We will be mistreated and persecuted and, and threatened, but but it won't last forever. God may not deliver us from the attacks, but He'll keep us through the attacks. He will watch over us. The same, uh, again, when we, the, the context of, of all of these Psalms is the tribulation. It's when the Jews are in tribulation and they have a, a very wicked force, the, the, the very the very personification of wickedness is attacking them, the Antichrist. Uh, the Assyrian is the Antichrist. And as they come against the nation of Israel, God preserves them. Isaiah the prophet, chapter number 10, talks about this. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee, after the manner of Egypt, for yet... Very, yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger and the destruction. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock Oreb. And his rod, as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. God references a couple of things. He references Moses with the rod at the Red Sea, and, and how that God, when they were against that sea, and they cried out to him, and Pharaoh's army is coming against them, and, and he, he instructs them to stand still and, and see the salvation of the Lord, and God takes that rod, and he parts that sea, and they go across on dry ground, and then God swallows up the enemy in the midst of the sea. God says, it, it's going to be on that fashion. I, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to deal with the wicked. He said, it's going to be like Gideon is 300 when he came against the Midianites. Remember the story? And God whittles the group down to where there's only 300 of them and, and, and they're going out to, to face the Midianites and they're not sure what to do. All they've got is these, these pictures over, uh, pictures over uh, the, the flame and, and the trumpet and how are we going to defeat the Midianites? Judges tells us that what God did was he, he turned, he set every man's sword against his fellow. The Midianites destroyed themselves. You know, that's the way... God said he will preserve the nation of Israel during the time of tribulation. We can apply that to our lives. He will preserve us. He will protect us. He will watch over us and care for us. You know, it's the same thing that happened with Hezekiah and Sennacherib. They're coming against him, and, and they've, they've set up a, a siege of the city. Hezekiah's not sure what he's going to do. He goes and he cries out to God. He, he trusts God. He doesn't turn to human help. He doesn't go down to Egypt looking for help, but he trusts in the Lord. We saw last week that he said, if the Lord had not been our help, if it had not been the Lord that was our help, implying that it's only in the Lord that he trusted, not in the devices of men, not in his own solutions, but his faith was in the Lord. And the outcome of that was God went out and destroyed the Assyrians. He turned them against themselves. Uh, again, Isaiah 37, and the angel of the Lord went forth and smote the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. I mean, what Hezekiah couldn't imagine. How, how are we going to overcome the angel of the Lord goes out and destroys 185,000 Assyrians overnight. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, that Adaramalak, I love these names, and his, son, and his other son smote him with a sword. God destroyed him. God defeated him. 
It seemed as if, I mean, he's, he's destroyed all these cities. We, we talked about last week in the British Museum how that he's taken 40 and 6 cities. He took captive 200,000, over 200,000 from Judea. But God destroyed him. It, it seemed as if he was winning. But ultimately, God brings judgment, and he will do the same. He says, lead, verse 5 says, lead them not forth with the workers of iniquity. But the wicked... The wicked have a place that they're going. Those who work iniquity have a place that they're going. Again, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about those who work iniquity, those who come to the end and, and they think that they've done well. Verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name do many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The workers of iniquity, they're, they're headed in a direction. They're, they're going to a place. And that place is separation from God for all of eternity. Can you imagine how horrific it would be. They, they show up before God, and, and before God they think they've, they've done wonderful works, but what they call wonderful works, God calls works of iniquity. Because it's not about all the good works that you do. It's about a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I never knew you. It's not about how religious you are. It's about a relationship with God. The wicked are, are headed to a place and that places separation from God for all of eternity. You know, I think if we would believe that, we would be less angry with the wicked. We would pity them more. We would have greater compassion for the wicked. I think if we believed that, we wouldn't see their life as winning today we would see it as losing because ultimately it leads to destruction. And we would have the wherewithal to, to speak to them about how to have true life and joy and peace. God's going to deal with the wicked. He will deal with the workers of iniquity. He says in verse 5, there's another group. There's those who who turn aside into their crooked ways. The, the, the idea is there's, there's those who, who've gone in the right direction. They were going the right way, but, but they turned aside. They've, they've turned from doing right, and now they're turned aside. They've, they've backslidden. They're, they're following in the way of the workers of iniquity. Maybe they didn't trust in the Lord, and when, when things begin to happen that were difficult, and they faced persecution, and they faced struggle, and they faced hard times, they, they turned away from following the Lord. They, they went away from it because they lost their their ideal and understanding of truth. They ceased to trust. The midst of the situation that we're in in our, our world today has led a lot of people to turn away from the Lord. George Barna says, over the last 11 months, a full one-third of the church of Jesus Christ has disappeared. Certainly, 2020 has been a trying year. Certainly, we've, we've faced pain and, and difficulty and struggle. Could get worse. And the question is, will we continue to trust? Will we continue to trust Him? And trust means obey. Trust means walk with him. Even when I can't see, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take trust. It wouldn't take faith. If I can see the outcomes, if I can see what's coming, if I, if I know what's going to happen, then I don't really need faith, do I? Because I have sight. It's when I don't know, but yet I continue to live in obedience. Don't turn aside. Don't be led forth Verse 5 says, with the workers of iniquity, the, the context, again, is, is tribulation. 
and the difference in the tribulation, the economy will be different. And turning aside will ultimately lead to destruction. We live in a dispensation of grace. Aren't you grateful for that today? And this dispensation of grace, I'm thankful that I am secure in the person of Jesus Christ. Even if I turn aside, I'm still secure in Him. Yet, I will deal with the chastening hand of the Lord. God will deal with the wicked. You can count on that. He's faithful to His Word. Not only will He deal with the wicked, He'll punish the wicked, but He'll preserve the righteous. He will preserve the righteous. Again, a couple of Proverbs, chapter 12. We saw it a moment ago, verse number 7. The wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. Proverbs 10, 30. The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. The rod of the wicked on the righteous, but it won't stay there. He he says it won't last there. Why? Verse 3 says, lest the righteous put forth their hands into iniquity. What he says is, that God, I'm going to, God says, I'm going to use the, the rod, and, and I'm going to use it maybe to correct you or to direct you. I, I know in my own life, God's goal for me, his ultimate goal for me, as it is for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is that you would become like Christ. That's God's ultimate goal. In fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that he predetermined to that end, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's God's predetermined goal for my life. I know that I'm not there. How about you? Wow. <laughs> Let me ask, how about you? Are you there? I mean, if the Apostle Paul said, I've not arrived yet, let's, let's be honest, we hadn't made it. And I know, for me, I don't typically change when I know enough I know how to. I typically change when I hurt enough that I have to. And so sometimes God uses the rod of the wicked to chisel off those parts of me that are unlike Christ. He's conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ. But, but what the Bible tells me is that it's, it's not going to stay there so long that it leads me to iniquity. It's not going to stay there so long that it leads me to, to vengeance or, or to profanity or to, to some kind of malice. Paul said to the church at Corinth that, that we're going to deal with times of temptation, but God's faithful. He said he's not going to suffer us to be tempted above that, that we're able He's not going to allow it to remain so long. He, he's refining us and he's purifying us, but, but he's not going to allow that fire to destroy us. The, the, the sad part is this. Oftentimes we, we allow the rod of the wicked to continue to influence us into iniquity. The sad part is God wouldn't bring it on us. God wouldn't allow it, but but we allow it. We continue there. God provides a way of escape. We just choose not to exit. We choose not to take it. Let me say to us, oftentimes the way of escape is way back up the highway. It's, it's far before we find ourselves in the midst of a situation that we know we're in trouble. God provided a way out long ago. Oftentimes the way out is through right relationships. The way out is through faithful Bible study and reading and prayer. It's through faithfulness to God in His church. It's through a ministry of biblical discipleship. It's through accountability to faithful believers. We're looking for some grandiose way of escape. And God's offered a thousand ways of escape before. We're, we're, we're like the guy, you know, who was on his rooftop and the floodwaters are rising and he's praying for God to provide a way of deliverance and a boat comes along and a helicopter comes along and, and he refuses them and, and then wonders why God didn't deliver him. He's looking for some miraculous deliverance. The deliverance of God may be a simple, quiet, still voice of living in obedience to the truth of the Word of God, eliminating those things in our lives that would cause us 
to be tempted above that, that God would have us to be tempted. I'm hesitant to preach against television again this week. (laughs) I feel like I'm stuck in the 70s. Maybe if we'd listened in the 70s, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. Things that we wouldn't even think about talking about then, we pay to have delivered into our living rooms. The Bible says you can't take fire into your bosom and not be burned. God won't allow the rod of the wicked, but oftentimes we invite it. Listen to what Peter says, Ye therefore, beloved, 2 Peter 3, 17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, therefore beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Peter warns us, beware, for fear that. That's, that's what that word less means. You be led away with the error of the wicked from your own steadfastness. You, you fall away, you, you step aside, you, you cease to follow, you cease to trust. The previous chapter gives the, the example of a man named Lot. He calls him righteous Lot, yet delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot was a just man. He lived among the wicked. He saw and he heard. He vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Again, I'm not suggesting that we become irrelevant, but I am saying there's a danger of us being vexed by this wicked world that we live in that gets progressively more wicked every day. As we watch and we hear, we vex our righteous soul. God will preserve the righteous. He will do good to those that are good. He says, this this is the prayer, verse 4, do good to them that be good. He goes on to say, them that are upright in their hearts. Uh, A lot of times we say, nice guys finish last. I I hate to admit to you as I was working on this over the, the week, the song from my childhood came to mind, Billy Joel, only the good die young. Some of you are going to have to deal with what I've dealt with over the last couple of days, that song going through your head. I'm sorry. Misery loves company. We invite you into mine. That's not true in God's economy. You know, I've been guilty of saying no good deed goes unpunished. That's not true in God's economy. God will do good to the good. The problem is oftentimes our focus is too short. Oftentimes we're we're looking for it to happen right here, right now. God is just. He will preserve the good and he will punish the wicked. You can trust him for that. He will make things right. He will settle all scores. He is faithful. We, We saw a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 12, after that great verse at the beginning that encourages us uh, to, to look at all of the truths of what God has done for us, how that He has justified us and, and He's redeemed us and He's made us His own, that we should give our lives back to Him as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. It's our reasonable service that we shouldn't be conformed to this world, but transformed. And as He begins to describe that, one of the things that He says is that, that we should let God take vengeance. We, we should give place to wrath. Vengeance is his. He will repay. He says we're not to be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Vengeance is his. We can trust him to handle the wrongs in our lives. You ever been wronged? We all have. God says, let me handle it. 
Don't let it overcome you. Don't let the wrongs done to you overcome you. Don't be overcome with that evil. Overcome that evil with good. And the way that you do that is you, is you trust God. You, you put your faith in Him. You recognize Him as just and righteous. And allow Him to handle the scores. He says, He'll handle it. He'll do good to those that be good. I want to make sure we understand something this morning because when you hear something like that, maybe your tendency is to start creating a list. Let me, let me create my list today because if God's going to do good to, to those that are good, let me, let me see how much good I've done versus how much bad I've done. It's important that we have a biblical understanding of, of good. And notice that he didn't just say those that do good. He said those that be good. Those that are upright in heart. Remember the religious leaders came to Jesus and they called him good master. And he said, why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. His question to them is, are you calling me God? Are you recognizing that I am God in the flesh? Because if you are, that's a monumental thing. And of course, they were not recognizing that he was God in the flesh. Paul comes back in Romans and, and he tells us they're, they've all gone out of the way. They're altogether become unprofitable. There is none good. And then he hastens, no, not one. He anticipates our rebuttal. He anticipates that, that we have some objection to the ideal that there's none good. Before we can object, he, he hastens to add, no, I don't care who you're thinking about, not one. No, you're not good. You may think that you are, but you aren't. There is none good but God. And so the only way for you and I to, to be good is to have imputed goodness, imputed righteousness. We aren't good, but the way to be good is to be good in Christ, to have goodness imputed to me through the Lord Jesus Christ. John says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and, and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You see, it comes by hearing the word and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we receive everlasting life and, 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 and we avoid condemnation. That's how we pass from death into life. Paul told the church at Corinth that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The way to, to be good, to be good at heart, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through a personal relationship with Him. It's to have imputed righteousness. It's the only way. But when we have been made pure in Christ, to, to be good in Christ, to be made holy in Jesus, God promises that He will do good. He will do good to them that are good. What's the key? Trust in the Lord. To trust him. I remember a, a missionary telling a story years ago. He was in a, a remote tribe and they, they didn't have the scriptures, and so they were translating the scriptures into their language. And they were having trouble with, with a word for faith. Pretty important in translating the scriptures. And, and they worked and they worked, and they had no solution. They, they took some time off and they went on a hunting trip and it was a very mountainous area and, and they went and they, they'd killed some kind of animal, I don't remember what it was, but, but they together laboriously carried their kill back to the village and, and they come to the, the house and they, they go up on the veranda of the house and there's a, there's a hammock there and, and one of the men in, in absolute exhaustion 
collapses into the hammock, and, and he exclaims this word that just in the language simply meant to rest. How good it is to rest. How good it is finally, after all of that labor, to just find a place of rest. And the missionary said, that's the word. That's the word. That's the word we'll use to translate faith, to rest. That's a very good translation. It's not, it's not some intellectual assent to a body of facts. It's something that I rest in. I trust Him, and I rest in Him. Regardless of what comes in my life, I have a solid foundation. He surrounds me. He protects me. He is my provision. In this story, there's, there's three kinds of people, and listen to me today, you're one of them. Every one of us in this room, you're either among the righteous who trust in the Lord. Ultimately, that, that's salvation. That's putting my trust in the person of Jesus Christ and in Him alone. It's receiving from Him imputed goodness and righteousness, allowing Him to be the one who pays my sin debt. If we're not among the righteous, then it's possible we're among the wicked. Those who work iniquity. Those who maybe have a lot of good works to show. But one day before Christ, they'll be deemed works of iniquity. Because we don't know Christ as Savior. If that's you today, I would encourage you to call upon Christ for salvation. Third group is those who the psalm describes as the crooked. They've turned away. They were on the path, but they left the path. And they're no longer living in a relationship with God that's described as trust. They've turned to other things. They're relying upon their own abilities, their own wisdom, the, the ways of the world. They've gone down to Egypt for help. If that's you today, I would encourage you to come back home. Come back to a life of faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're grateful today that you are our God, worthy of our trust. Father, we're grateful for the testimony of the scriptures, thousands of years of humanity. You've proven yourself to be trustworthy. Today, Father, we come and and we bow that in our human and, and confess that in our humanness that we we oftentimes slip, we oftentimes fail to trust, we oftentimes turn to our own abilities in our own ways. We pray you'd forgive us and help us to return to a position of trust. Father, I pray for those that are in this room today that are that that have walked the path of faith and, and trusting in you, but they've turned aside. Lord, I pray you'd help them to come back to you today. Father, there are those that are here today that are, that are quite truthfully and, and honestly among the wicked. Maybe those who, who've lived good lives and done good things, but, but yet don't know your Son as their Savior. God, I pray today that you would reveal to them their need of you, that they would turn to you before it's too late. Father, for those of us that are righteous, that are saved, that are been redeemed by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray today you'd help us to have a fresh appreciation for all that you've done for us. And Father, that we would, in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of days where it seems like the wicked prosper over the righteous, that we would trust you even more, that we would believe you and walk with you, that we would allow your word to dictate our lives, and every moment of every day, we would live surrendered to your Lordship, controlled by your Holy Spirit, that we might proclaim your hope to a world that desperately needs you. Help us, I pray. Would you stand with me, please, as we continue in an attitude of prayer? The praise team's going to sing for us this morning. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond. If you're here today and you don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. You don't know for sure. 
that you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, there's not a better time than right now. If you don't know, we'll help you know from the Word of God. Maybe you're here today and you've turned aside. You were walking with Him, but you've stepped aside. Certainly this has been a trying time. Maybe some of the events of this year have pulled you away. Could I encourage you today to come back? To turn back to Him? He will receive you and welcome you back. He is a gracious, merciful, loving Father. Maybe you're here today and you're just struggling. And you look at this world and you wonder how, how can these things be? I encourage you, continue to trust. God is righteous. He's trustworthy. He will right all the wrongs. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't turn somewhere else for help. Trust Him and Him alone. If you need help, we want to help you. While we sing, you come. Let God do in your life what He wants to do today. You let God do in your life what He wants to do today. Times certainly are trying, aren't they? Anybody else notice it? Seems like at times the wicked prosper over the righteous. It does seem that way. You know what the world needs is a group of people who see beyond the circumstances and the situations. A group of people who, in spite of how things might look, have faith in something greater. People who aren't controlled by situations and circumstances, but have a solid foundation, who know they're protected, who are willing to live like that. People who won't be moved away from what they've been called to do. People who realize that the call, like the Apostle Paul, is actually bigger than my life. It's actually more important than my survival. You know what I find in my life? When I get to the place in my life I feel like I have to survive, I usually... Maybe to put it in the context of what we read today, I, I usually make haste. I make bad decisions. I make decisions that I regret. I make the best decisions in my life when I live in complete trust, not having to survive, allowing God to be God. I think we all have a tendency to want to take over that position. And that never works out well. I encourage you today. Let's trust. Amen? Let's trust Him and rely upon Him. Giving Him His rightful place in our lives. It's a place of lordship. There are a lot of people who attend church and are good people but have never met Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
If you have any question about that, I'd sure encourage you to deal with it today. I can't imagine how horrible it would be to stand before God one day and hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you. If you're trusting in anything, anyone other than Jesus Christ, you're headed in the wrong direction. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't be baptized enough. You can't be Baptist enough. None of those things will merit salvation. It's only in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in anything else, I beg you today, let go and turn to Christ. Rest in Him. He will secure you. If you're struggling with that at all, I'll be at the VIP area. As soon as we're done this morning, I invite you to come by. We'd love to help you with that. We're grateful that you're here. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Uh, if you're watching online, or certainly those of you who are in-house, we're grateful that you've joined us today. Uh, tonight, we will be back at uh, 545 with our, our support groups at Awana tonight, and, and all of our classes will be meeting tonight. So uh, plan to be here and be a part of that this evening, okay? Uh, Wednesday night, we will be back at House of Prayer, 630. We meet right here in this room. We pray together for an hour. I encourage you to come and pray with us for the House of Prayer uh, this coming Wednesday night. Uh, I think that's all I'm supposed to announce. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great Sunday. Uh, if you're new today, please come by the VIP area. We'd love to get a chance to meet you and introduce ourselves. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.